Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. My co-host is Ryan Donnelly. Ryan, what are we doing today? Well, Pat, uh, we're going to be bringing it back in time to talk about the wonderful, beautiful, and strong Big East. Before I introduce our illustrious guest, I'm going to give a little background on the shooting star that was the Big East Conference. We have to go all the way back to 1991. Brian Adams and Michael Bolton were atop the charts. Terminator 2 was raking in half a billion dollars, and college football was in the process of changing forever. A 1984 Supreme Court ruling had allowed college athletic conferences to negotiate their own TV deals independently of the NCAA, creating the foundations of the increasingly drastic wealth disparities in the sport that we all know and love today. Yeah, we love the disparities we specifically. Love yeah. <laughs> um, this led to a wave of formerly independent schools joining conferences en masse between 1990 and 1993. Florida State went to the ACC, Penn State joined the Big Ten, and South Carolina made its way to the SEC. By the way, if you ever look up the uh, press conference photos from the South Carolina joining the SEC, I have not. I, uh, I can highly recommend oh, it. Oh, man. Um, eight other individual schools banded together to form what would become known as the Big East in 1991. Boston College, Miami, Pitt, Rutgers, Syracuse, Temple, Virginia Tech, and West Virginia formed their own conference, becoming a founding member of the then-new BCS, initially known as the Bowl Coalition and the Bowl Alliance. Early on, the conference had great success, large in the back of its Southern Florida powerhouse. Miami won two national championships in 1991 and 2001, and nearly won four others in a 12-year period. Virginia Tech also appeared in a title game in 1999 on the back of Michael Vick. The conference secured 13 AP Top 10 finishes in the first dozen years that it existed. Shortly after, the conference was raided by the ACC and lost Miami, Virginia Tech, and Boston College in 2004 and 2005. The ACC had planned to take Syracuse as well before deciding they were simply too shitty and being pressured by UVA to take in-state rival and then football power Virginia Tech instead. The Big East responded by kicking out Temple and bringing in Louisville, Cincinnati, USF, and UConn, but the death knell of the conference had likely already been sounded. Despite West Virginia securing three consecutive top 10 finishes under Rich Rodriguez, 2005, 2007, and success from Louisville, Cincinnati, USF, and Pitt at times, the conference seemed poised to lose its automatic qualifier status in the BCS and would soon fall apart. In the course of two months, 2011, Pitt, Syracuse, and West Virginia accepted bids to leave for the ACC and Big 12. Louisville and Rutgers did the same in the ACC and Big 10 in 2012, not far behind. Cincinnati, Temple, USF, and UConn were left looking around like the Will Smith meme, forming the, basis, forming the basis for the American Athletic Conference, the Big East Successor Conference. The 2012-13 season was the final year for this once kind of proud Big East. It was the end of an era. With that concluded my monologue, let's bring in our first guest. We are joined today by Bill Landis of The Athletic, a fellow child of the Big East footprint. Bill, thanks for joining us today. How's it going? It's going great. Um, happy to be here on the uh, Hogbeat uh, podcast. That's right. Um, Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do at The Athletic, and sort of your, uh, as Ryan mentioned, you're a child of the Big East. You grew up in Philadelphia. What do you remember about the Big East from, from your from your time in that, you know, sort of very strange time period where the Big East is like this <laughs> huge thing that is happening all the time? Yeah, uh, so I cover Ohio State uh, football, dabble in, in some uh, basketball for the athletic every now and then. They let me do something else, but that's mostly it. Um I'm going to say some things here that, that might make me sound like unqualified to have the conversations we're going to have today. I don't mean to come off that way. It's just sort of like the, the real deal. And, and the answer to your, to your question is like the Big East wasn't a huge deal in Philadelphia. It's just like Philadelphia is, is kind of weird that it's like 
centrally located among all of this, like in the middle of, of the geographic footprint, I guess, guess for the most part, it's just not a huge college football town. Um, obviously it's a pro sports town. So like, like very early on, what I remember is like Marvin Harrison at Syracuse, shout out Roman Catholic high school. Um, Let's go. Like he, they talked about him and I was like, Oh, Syracuse, that sounds like it's a million miles away. Um, then McNabb got drafted obviously by the Eagles and like you learn a little more about it, but it wasn't really until the 2006 season. I think that um, big East football like became a, a thing that I was more than just sort of generally aware of. And that was my first year of college. And that was kind of the year that I really started to fall in love with, with college football, just because, like I said, I'd been a, a, mostly a, a pro sports fan up until that point. And for some reason, I don't, I don't know why, I guess maybe just because of where it was located um, or the fact that it was, it felt like a, a true East coast program in the sense that if in my mind, if you're South of Washington, DC, I don't care if you're near the water or not, you're not on the East coast. Um, we really, that's right. Me and my friends like gravitated toward that Rutgers team. Um, so I remember like watching those games and like actually caring about who won. And like, obviously the Louisville game was, was the biggest game in the history of Rutgers football. And like, that wasn't like a diehard bleed with the Scarlet Knights. Greg Shiano was my guy kind of Rutgers fan, but like <laughs> in terms of, of like following a team for the first time in college football, it was probably that Rutgers team for me. Um, I remember really enjoying Tyquan Underwood's like hairstyle. He looked like, uh, the kid from uh from hey arnold what's his name oh you guys gerald. That show? gerald from hey arnold this is why i keep you around i don't know man. if hey arnold happened before you guys were born oh no i was a big hey arnold guy and uh one of my okay. close friends listened to the podcast uh will i'm sure is a much bigger fan than i am I'm, I'm sure could quote most of gerald's lines for you from memory oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> i i have i have seen hey arnold i'm not old enough to remember it especially well Football yeah. head. Thank you. Thanks for making me feel ancient. <laughs> Thirty-two. Oh, um, yeah. So that was like that was like my my Big East memories or my memories are coming got the Big East footprint. I, I think are that. Um, and then of course, like everyone, you know, I ran shit with West Virginia and NCAA, NCAA football. But of course, um, yeah, yeah. The Rucker two thousand six Rucker Scarlet Knights were like sort of like my intro to the sport. I think. See, Bill, I was going to joke that the thrall of you couldn't resist the thrall of Greg Schiano, but that was actually what it was. So I, that that it makes a lot more sense now why you were consist, cons, consistently sort of throwing rocks through my window in 2018, and then you know kind of attacking me physically whenever you saw me. So that it all kind of it all kind of makes more sense now. Yeah, yeah I, for, I blame you for the downfall. Yeah, I did it. I got him fired and everything. <laughs> Uh, fun fact that Syracuse mentioned you had there, uh, quite a few years before McNabb or Harrison showed up, uh, my dad uh, went to Oswego, which is not too far away for a couple of semesters of college, and uh, he told me when he had to uh, walk through tunnels in the wintertime under, underneath the snow because of how heavy the snow was up there, he decided it was no longer for him. Uh, going to upstate New York uh, <laughs> was no longer the path for him, and anyway, it's confusing why Syracuse doesn't get so many top-level recruits. Uh, I'm not sure what was related to that at all. Florida receivers really want to make that trek. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to go to a frigid hellscape to play football inside of a dome that no one goes to, and to lose nine games a year. No. I do want to do that, but I guess, <laughs> yeah, I'm, right. I guess I'm just built different. Well, I got nothing better to do, I suppose. Yeah, I'm on. Yeah, I'm not doing anything else. I might as well. Yeah. Um, so, do you guys want to get into what we kind of what we came to talk about today? Uh, 
Patrick, do you want to run us through the draft that we're going to uh, going to be doing? Yeah, sure. So the three of us have been charged by the actually by, by the president of the United States and by God uh, to create the sort of modern Big East to recreate the Big East, expanding college football to a power six, a true power six, rather than just the one that you know people like me try to uh, propagandize around. Mm-hmm. Um, we are able to draft programs from other leagues around the country to build the best possible football league in the spirit of the original Big East, which is kind of a, a big consideration here, along with geography, <clears throat> historic rivalries, uh, football quality, fan base size, team talent, whatever it might be. Um, we don't really care about academics, basketball, non-revenue sports. Um, I know that the modern Big East, as it is as it is structured, is very heavy around like private Catholic schools. Right? Yeah, it's, a lot it's, of great basketball schools, really, yeah, uh, which was also very fun to watch growing up, by the way. Yes. Those, those uh, Big East basketball games, I, though I can't speak for yourself, but I definitely spent more time watching Big East basketball than football as a kid. Yes. Um, so here are the rules. Each participant gets four picks in a snake-style draft to build the conference. Um, our order, just for reference, is Ryan, then Bill, then myself, and we're just going to snake around. Um, that was picked definitely through a through a, a random thing. Ryan didn't freeze his name before we put it in the bowl <laughs> or anything like that. Um the uh, you may not pick a team that was a founding football member of another Power Five conference if it's still in that conference. Uh, so, for example, this means that like Ohio State and Michigan are ineligible, but Penn State and Rutgers can be taken from the Big Ten. Um, we have a full list of ineligible schools that was provided to the GMs. I think we all have our own little draft boards here. Um, we should also try as hard as we can to follow the geographic footprint of the member schools generally. Um, most schools will be in a state that touches the Atlantic Ocean or a state that touches one of those states. Um, Cincinnati's an exception. The other is Notre Dame because both were associated with the conference in, in some way, shape, or form. Notre Dame is a basketball school. Cincinnati as a full-on member. Yeah, right? shout out to Luke Herringody at the peak of Notre Dame basketball. Oh, man, what a beast. <laughs> yes, we love that. Um, so I, I guess we can just get right on into this. So I, uh, I don't have the draft music. Maybe I'll add it in after. But Ryan, um, you are you are on the board with the first pick here. Wow. Uh, well, first of all, just honored to be here. Um, You'd like to thank your wife, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to thank my wife. I want to thank uh, my children uh, sitting at home. Um, they're all named after Dave Wanstead, both my I'm, wife and yeah. my children. I think <laughs> Dave is there taking care of them. Yeah, I think I'm the closest thing that you have to a child. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, that might be true. Uh, <laughs> okay, so with the first pick, um, you know, I thought long and hard about this, uh, and, and really the reason I ended up making this selection. Um, it's because I was thinking about what caused the the Big East to collapse in the first place and why it never sustained and, and you know, why Miami kind of pulling the rug out from under uh, under the conference kind of led to its demise. Um, and I thought what could have been done to prevent that. And, and to me, the biggest thing that came to mind was uh, including Penn State in the conference. If Penn State had opted to go with the Big East rather than um, the other big land-grant schools in the Big Ten, uh, you know, I think there's a really a very real chance that the Big East would be around today and the ACC would be the one that collapsed. Um, so with that being said, my first pick is Penn State. Um, you know, I, I think the Joe Paterno era program uh, th- that really was winning national championships and contending for them every single year um, was the traditional powerhouse in the Northeast. Um, it, it was kind of landing the top talent, um, you know, out of New Jersey, out of Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, um, much of the Northeast. 
And I really can't imagine how much different life would be today if Penn State weren't in the Big Ten, if Penn State had survived in the Big East. Uh, Bill, I know you're a Penn State grad. Do you have any thoughts on, on kind of that era of the program and what that might look like? Yeah, I mean, it would have been my first pick, too. Um, I did have a big board, as Patrick alluded to, and uh, shocker, my alma mater was at the top of it. So um, <laughs> I have to do some some adjusting here, I guess. The, but that, I think it's the only team you could pick, right, if you have the first pick. I don't, I don't know if this works, this exercise works if you don't have Penn State. So I think you need to pick them. There's some interesting history there. I don't know. Maybe you guys are aware of this. Maybe you're not. Um, but in the early 80s, like Joe Paterno wanted to start his own Eastern-based conference. Um, and I believe that – I think I have this right. The teams were Pitt, West Virginia, Temple, Maryland, Syracuse, Rutgers, and Boston College. And Joe Pa wanted to start this conference. Um, it didn't really take. And then in 1982 – after that didn't take like Penn state wanted to join the big East and they needed six votes. They got five Georgetown, St. John's and Villanova voted no because Penn state basketball sucked at the time. And they didn't <laughs> want to bring that crappy ass program into their conference. Um, so when uh, the time I think for expansion came around again, when, around when Penn state joined the big 10, um, I think it felt spurned by the original kind of Big East setup. And I don't even think really entertaining the idea of going to the Big East uh, around the time that, that Penn State went to the Big Ten. So, but I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of shared sentiment to some extent with with a lot of these programs. Certainly, I think the geography makes a little more sense for Penn State. Penn State and the Big Ten, like if you go to State College, I suppose you can trick yourself into thinking you're in the Midwest, <laughs> but it never, it doesn't really feel like a, a big 10 kind of school to me. It never really did. It always felt like an outlier. It's not alone as an outlier now because of Rutgers and Maryland, but Penn state was alone as an outlier for a while. Um, and I just think it, it would seem much more at home to me for, for myriad reasons. And Ryan, you touched on them. Um, if Penn state were, were in the big East, uh, I think, I mean, it's kind of crazy to me that, that it, didn't take back in the eighties. I, I suppose it makes sense if you don't want that basketball team joining what was the best league in the country at the time. But in, in hindsight, I'm sure a lot of people regret that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I do think, like you said, uh, P- Penn state, well, it does feel like home physically when you kind of go up there and kind of tailgate in the fields before a game. Uh, I do have to say the Delco accents really kind of take me out of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that is not something you hear too much in Columbus. Uh or, or certainly not in Iowa, <laughs> uh, does not quite sound the same as hearing some kids uh, two in the morning coming home from Hungry Howie's talking about getting some water ice the next day. Uh, <laughs> but with that, Bill, uh, and by the way, we should mention here, I'm sure the Pitt fans listening to the podcast are going to love that Penn State was the number one pick for, mm-hmm. for the Big East. If it makes them feel any better, I do have a Pitt shirt on right now, and I'm the one here who has least connection to, to Pennsylvania or Pitt or anything <laughs> like that, so I... I... Uh, so Bill, uh, with the number two pick, you are up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to pick Pitt. Just like, I think it makes too much sense right now. I, I, I don't, I don't want to overstep my, my boundaries here because I'm not, I'm not the pit expert on this podcast. Like obviously in terms of the history, history of the, of the program, it makes sense to have Pitt in there. I'm very much in favor of anything that forces Penn state to play Pitt rather than Mm -hmm. just like make it a four uh whatever it was a four-year agreement and then james franklin got scared and decided not to do it anymore <laughs> um i want these two teams to play each other every year so it's it's more than that but for me as someone who like doesn't have the 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 ties to pittsburgh like you do i just want to see these two teams play each other but but beyond that it makes too much sense yeah i could agree with you more i mean uh I, that was the first time in my life that i experienced them playing was 
Uh, I believe 2016 was the first year that came back. I could be incorrect on that. Yeah, Um, it was somewhere right in that range. And wasn't that the stupidly low scoring? No, was that the 52-49 in 2016 or something like that? uh, 13-9 was the win, I believe. That's right. Which is the number that Pitt fans always reference. I could be someone's going to be yelling at me if I get this wrong. Yeah. Uh, And and then they played again, and and, uh, Penn State won a shootout when uh, uh, Pat Narduzzi kicked a field goal inside the 10 yard line, like towards the end of the game. Um, what a king. And somehow man, kept his job. And somehow still has a job. Yeah. <laughs> and has employed Mark Whipple for multiple years. <laughs> what a beast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I can agree with you more. That is an awesome rivalry that really is fun. Um, you know, a lot of those kids play each other in the Whippeal in high school or in the, you know, the big Catholic schools out in Philadelphia. And, you know, those schools recruit the same exact areas. Uh, uh, Pitt's a little heavier, I'd say, down in Florida than Penn State is, but... Those Maryland kids, the Virginia kids, the New Jersey kids, the Pennsylvania kids, um, all these guys know each other because they go to the same camps every single offseason. They play each other for state championships. Uh, and there's a lot of just mutual enmity that I think would be really awesome to, like you said, see played out in the field more often. I wish it were still going on. Yeah, it would make worse. Like for Penn State, too, I always found that a bit frustrating when when people at Penn State like kind of tried to manufacture rivalries with Ohio State or Michigan, depending mm-hmm. on the year and depending on how good Penn State was that year. It just always felt like very fake to me. Now, they're in the same league and now they're in the same division. Like the games matter when you're trying to get to the Big Ten championship. So like I guess you can label it a rivalry in that way, but I'm talking like a, like real kind of hatred based on like geography and familiarity. Like that's what Penn State and Pitt was for so long. And then I don't know, like, it was, I forget what it was. It was something like Joe Pond, like Jackie Sherrill, right, why they stopped playing that game? I don't know the history there. I'd actually love to know that more. Um, I wish I did. I probably should have done a little more research to prepare for that. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think this might be – but uh, it is true that Penn State and Pitt stopped playing each other, and the story I'm about to tell you guys is true. I don't know if they're linked or not, but I think they're linked. Um, Joe Pa used to – and I guess a lot of coaches did this um, – like back in the day, uh, before a home game, you would go to Joe's house. If you were a writer, you would go to Joe's house and like Joe would like hold court and you'd sip whiskey like old white dudes and you'd talk about football. Um, and then on the road, they would go to the team hotel and do the same thing. Which and is what Pat does at, with Greg Schiano. Yeah. Right. And at one of those um, get-togethers, the uh, the reporter is – his name's going to escape me. He's the guy, he, worked, uh, he works for ESPN or used to work for ESPN. He covered the NFL, like the real skinny guy, like like nerdy-looking dude. Um, <laughs> Not, not John yeah. Clayton, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Man. I think it was John Clayton. I was going to say, that could yeah. be a lot of writers. <laughs> yes. The guy – yeah, he did like that stupid commercial where like they yes. like they, they panned down and he had like a mullet and he was like wearing a rock T-shirt. And, like, yeah. yeah. Iron Man, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever we need a brilliant insight, he's available at the drop of a hat. So anyway, I, I think John Clayton at the time worked for one of the Pittsburgh papers and off the record, Joe was talking to him and said something about like, I'm not going to retire because I'm not going to leave this sport to the Barry Switzers and Jackie Sherrills of the world. And like that quote obviously like was printed and should not have been. And I think that had a hand in like the undoing of the Pitt and Penn State rivalry. I think there's definitely a, a thing where to some extent, uh, the Penn State Pitt uh, kind of relationship is a little bit like the Michigan State Michigan relationship, right? Where uh, Penn State does view Pitt as a little brother, um, in some ways, rightfully. I, I think in recent years, Penn State has been the better program, of course. But Pitt does have a very proud history of its own. Uh, certainly, going back with Dan Marino and Tony Dorsett, and kind of as the as the steel boom ended and as people moved away, 
um, Penn State became more and more, uh, I'd say, dominant of the two programs. And, you know, obviously it's carried on today that for the past, you know, 40 years really cannot make an argument that Pitt's been better for any sustained yeah. period of time. I mean, Pitt was bagged up in the early 80s. Oh, in the 70s, we had the Golden Panthers era. Yes. Those guys, uh, it's what it's called for a boosters club um, that were, I mean, famously buying a lot of recruits. Like, yeah. A lot of recruits. And then getting the, uh, the, the, his name escapes me, the SMU transfer who then ratted out SMU, the uh, the offensive lineman. This is like a focal point of the Pony Express oh, or Pony Excess. I don't remember the guy's name, but he transferred to Pitt from SMU and then immediately just like talking about the payroll at SMU, talking yeah. about, you know, Ron Meyer walking in with a $50 bill and his, uh, his you know, his business card, just leaving it on the whiteboard at the high school. And I think everyone knows, or maybe they don't, knows the famous alleged, we're not, you know, we're not reporting <laughs> Parody. here, uh, <laughs> alleged stories about Dan Marino during his time at Pitt that, that you know, the son of a postman, uh, you know, managed to not just afford a central Catholic education, but also... Uh, was reported as some other activities, maybe selling a little uh, <laughs> something that looked like baby powder around campus. Into, I heard it. I heard it stowed a little bit up there. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. big into skiing. Yeah, <laughs> he was hitting the slopes for certain. He, he might have had a couple <laughs> gold watches or two that uh, he was going full Pablo up there. Once again, parody. Parody. Uh, Allegedly, yeah. uh, <laughs> can't confirm or deny this. <laughs> Non-actionable. Um, before we get sued here, let's, let's move on to our third pick with Pat. A third and fourth pick, actually. Yeah. Pat, you have the turn. So sitting here at number three. I feel right now, I not I don't know a ton about the NFL draft. I feel like I'm the Atlanta Falcons. I'm looking up, and I see that, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are off the board. And I'm looking at my draft board, and I don't see number one off the board. I oh, still wow. see Zach Wilson right there. I'm like, oh, man. Oh I've got I got number one falling to me. You know, he's got a little bit of style. He's got some of that... Uh, uh, the, you know, as they would say on like Bleacher Report's Twitter account, he's got some white boy swag, right? <laughs> I'm picking Notre Dame. Wow, Notre, I love the pick. Notre Dame falling to the Ugh. three spot. I mean, there's no other. This is Notre Dame is a six foot quarterback that wears a headband everywhere he everywhere he goes. I I, uh, I can't possibly pass this up. This is on. a deceptively athletic. Yes, pick. yes, exactly. <laughs> this is the kind of pick that you you know. This is the kind of pick that you can sell a gram to for just any amount of money. Just any any amount of money. You can really take this guy for all he's got. Um, I just Notre Dame has the Big Ten or the Big East connection. Um, it is a, a, a truly national program, one of the few truly national programs. I think that it's a, it's a team that you have to have in this conference. I, I think that it is a team that if you're trying to build <clears throat> the best football conference, specifically the best football conference in this you know these um, the, these guidelines that we're trying to follow with with Big East connections. Notre Dame has to be in there, and it has to be right up near the top because this is one of the best football programs in the country right now. Even if it never really seems like it should be, right? You you look at Notre Dame, and it doesn't feel like a good football team. But then it they goes, games yeah. But then year. it goes eleven and one, and you you have to you have to think twice. And this is a team that's always going to have a very natural recruiting base of every single Catholic high school in the entire country. Um, and it's, you know, unless it goes out and, and hires a really bad coach or a couple really bad coaches, it's always going to be good. Um, I don't think that Notre Dame is your Alabama of this conference by any means. I think that that's probably one of the, the higher ceiling, lower floor picks that will come a little bit later in this draft. I'm looking at you, Miami or Florida State, teams like that. But um, I, I think that Notre Dame is, is, a, is a, a steady pick that you sort of have to have here to pair with Notre or with uh, with Penn State as kind of the... Uh, the teams that always go ten and two and never do anything better than that. Uh, so I, I just I couldn't I can't pass up on Notre Dame here. 
And speaking on the Catholic high schools thing that you touched on there, I think so much of the, um, and we also mentioned kind of one-sided rivalries earlier, as in teams that hate others that it hasn't really reciprocated. So many teams in the Big East, uh, Miami excluded, had a one-sided rivalry with Notre Dame, I think, because... Every team in America has a one-sided <laughs> right. rivalry with Notre well, Dame. Especially because so many of their recruits at this period in time would come into those Northeastern Catholic high schools, the ones in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and New Jersey and, and Boston, certainly. Yeah. Um, and they would just land, you know, four-star, five-star, what were equivalent to four- or five-star to- at the time, uh, offensive linemen and quarterbacks, and, and would just raid the area constantly. And... Uh, you know, Notre Dame would then come into your town three or four years later with this kid starting as an All-American and just beat the shit out of you by 40 points. And uh, what can you do about it? Because they're going to do it again for the next two decades. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have nothing you can do to stop it. And, and I know especially growing up, I mean, the first college football game I ever went to was Notre Dame beating the shit out of Pitt uh, in Heinz Field. Uh, I was I must have been seven or eight years old. It happened so many times. I don't know which one it was. But I do have a vivid memory of going to that game and sitting in the end zone and and watching Notre Dame win by about 40 points in Heinz Field. Um, it just happened all the time. I mean, I don't know if you guys felt the same way in Philadelphia, Bill. Uh, I know you said you weren't, like you said, it wasn't really until the Greg Schiano era that you became a Big East head. But uh, growing up, we would just see Notre Dame run roughshod over every Big East team. Yeah, I mean, that if, if there was a college football team that I think Philadelphia, or at least my neighborhood in Northeast Philadelphia, generally gravitated toward, it was 100% Notre Dame. I went to Catholic school, went to Catholic uh, grade school and high school. Um, grew up a bunch around a bunch of um, Irish Catholic people. Um, like yep. all the, all of, there was a bar on every street corner. They all had Notre Dame shit. So yeah, like it was Notre Dame, even, even if it wasn't a major college football city, like Notre Dame was still inescapable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, for my fourth pick here, I have the exact other side, literally on the field and in general, the exact other side of Notre Dame. Um, one of the best rivalries in football that we don't get to see enough. Um, one that I am bringing back with this pick. My 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 uh, my second pick here is Miami. I, I just I was ta- I was talking about the the low floor, high ceiling picks, right? When Miami's bad, it is really really bad, and I don't know if it really realizes how to be good again right now. It, it it's a uh, it's a very specific kind of circumstance that you need to be in there that I, I don't think is quite as uh, as cut and dry as a lot of people think it is. I don't think that it just requires like having a Cuban dad that was the mayor of you know, <laughs> a, a local city or anything like that. Um, I, I, it's There's a little bit more to it. It's not just giving your players chains after turnovers and things like that. But I think that when Miami is at its best, which, you know, is, is easier said than done, like I was talking about um this can be your alabama here this can be your your perennial powerhouse and with a conference this good it's going to be tricky to have one of those just in general because you're probably going to lose some games but um the the potential of miami here this is me drafting a wide receiver that can't catch but runs a 4-2 right this, this is uh, <laughs> Darius uh Hayward Bay. yes yeah. this is this is uh I'm, I'm rolling with sort of the oakland strategy of either drafting guys that are cool or drafting guys that look good when they play football um the uh i i think that I think the the potential, the allure of of Miami is too much for me to pass up on here, and it just has such a Big East feel to it. I guess I just I love the fit of well, Miami. I mean, the Big feel East. swag matters, right? I mean, the Big Absolutely. East was fun when Miami yes. was good, when Virginia Tech was good, when you had guys from uh, from the Virginia Beach area and from Southern Florida uh, coming to the conference, and you know, I mean, beating the hell out of a bunch of slow teams up north, whatever it may have been. Uh, that was when the college football was really fun in this yeah. conference. I mean, that was an awesome time, and. I guess I want to hear your guys' opinions here. Do we think Miami is ever going to get back to that point? Are they ever going to win a title again in Miami? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the 
the natural recruiting advantage is too strong for me to say that they'll never win one again. Um, I don't, I don't think they'll ever be that again, like perennial national title contenders. I do think that they will be maybe an off year where they really come up and, and, and have one individual year where they're good enough to do it, but an Auburn kind of season. Um, yeah. Um, Miami Cam don't... Newton is too powerful for me to think about. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I mean, they have Tate Martell on. They had Tate Martell on the roster. Two, they could have done it. Two physical specimens, truly. <laughs> They're very alike when you think about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, Cam didn't have the kind of field vision that Tate had or the winning pedigree, but um, it, it's certainly an interesting thing to think about what could have been. <laughs> yeah, if Cam was more like Tate, yeah. What could, <laughs> right. have, what could have been? If he had right. the killer, the Kobe mentality, right? Um, I don't know. I, I just, it's so hard to to think like Bill was saying the recruiting there is just it's so good it's so easy to recruit in Miami you just have to stand out in the street <laughs> just sort of wait for them to come to you right and pick up four or five seconds. I mean it's fucking so fucking Zach Smith recruited four stars out of Miami right it's not hard to do you don't have to you can have the the animal magnetism of like the uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. just rolling he's <laughs> like who wants to come play football for Ohio State and they fucking do it and so I it's it's so hard for me to think that that can't happen I'm again. I'm sorry you just made me think this, but unfortunately I now have to say it out loud that, that Zach Smith is the Hunter Biden of Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, he's cool and we like him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's just digress. Let's yeah. Who uh, Bill's up next, right? Yeah. Bill, on that note, I'm just uh, I'm just not going to say anything over here. And Can't blame hope you. Yeah. Me. Hope that no one that employs me here is anything. Yeah, we'll, they, uh, we'll, they, we'll, yeah, they they won't. We might just <laughs> we might just want to add a, a beep there for a little bit on some of those words. <laughs> um. So like when I when I thought of like I think like Notre Dame and, and Miami are, are great picks, obviously. Um. When when I thought of this, I thought a little bit about sort of rewriting like what it means to be in the Big East like if you're doing it and like Miami has a, a rightful claim um, to to return to the Big East if they wanted to do that um, I also really enjoy or, or like the idea of like making like a true kind of East Coast kind of conference mm-hmm. and and I don't know if like if Notre Dame certainly isn't in, in that and I don't know really if Miami does either um, I'm talking like mid-Atlantic kind of deal so so that's kind of where I leaned with a lot of, of the teams that I had higher on on my big board um so i'm gonna pick ruckers <laughs> love that i i think i am a bill i am a i am not a believer in ruckers in the big 10 I never will be okay i think i can become a believer in ruckers like back home in the big east and in, in this kind of conference that we're making um and i don't know like i think greg shiano is fine I, you know he's recruiting well there uh, i think there's enough there with the right person to bring Rutgers back to being capable of competing in a conference that is put together like this, not a conference where it has to go play Ohio state, Penn state and Michigan every year to try to get those conference championship game. That makes sense to me. I, I think that now as I, as I think about it, I, uh, I have, obvi- I have picked the, the, the flashier picks here, but it, I think if you're building out a big East, you sort of need that team that will recruit to, I mean, what was the, uh, the Greg Shiano thing for, for years was the, the chop, right? It was very much about the, uh, as, as cliche it is, as it is, his program was very much selling the whole blue collar, you know, go out and, and, and work hard kind of program building approach. And, um, there are certainly other teams in this, in this conference that we have built and will continue to build that 
have that affect. Pitt is one that stands out to me. Penn State kind of does that. Um, there are some others that will get picked that kind of do that. But I think that when Rutgers is doing it, that area specifically, that recruiting area, really takes to that kind of thing. That's why Shiano had success there last time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really do think when we kind of talked about um, that familiarity you have between players who play each other since they were in middle school or high school going against each other, I think Rutgers had more talent when they were in the Big East because those Jersey kids were going to sit there and play against other Jersey kids. And now Rutgers going to the Big Ten. Michigan, I mean, like, if you're going to play against the entire Midwest, all these, like, you know, legendary programs, uh, why would you not rather go play at Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan against Rutgers than you would play for Rutgers? It makes sense they lose those battles. But when you're a Rutgers player going against Boston College and Syracuse and Temple, uh, you know, within a three-hour drive at your hometown, and you're... you're uh, competing against kids you've played against in that great Catholic league in New Jersey for years and years, I think it becomes much more attractive to, you know, represent the home state, so to speak, and to stay home and play against those guys. Cause you actually have something to represent and you have a chance to win for Christ's sake. I went back and looked at this cause I was just curious. And I think like 2006 Rutgers, as I talked about earlier is, is like the best that Rutgers has ever been and maybe ever will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were 74 players from New Jersey on there. That's incredible. That's Jim Trestle era Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. For for Rutgers to be at its best, it needs a quarterback that looks exactly like Christopher from the Sopranos. <laughs> it, that's that's what we that's what you require is just like guy who when he is not playing is dressed like he's in the mafia. Yeah, Rutgers needs a bunch of players that tell their friends they work in the waste management industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, Ryan! I believe be a, a, yeah, Rutgers. Rutgers in this new era is going to have a lot of name, image, and likeness opportunities with the waste management. Oh my god! Oh, uh, just Rutgers, you know, on the you know, just billboards inside of every Italian restaurant in the state of New yes, Jersey, uh, yes. just celebrating some guy you know named like Nunzio. Uh, you know, yeah. I actually have a guy named Nunzio. Yeah, Campanile. they do actually have yeah. a Nunzio Campanile, which is just absurd. I, yeah, I can't make up a name. No, no, that. that's the most guy. That's the most. <laughs> Rutgers guy, yeah, yeah. I can't. Talk. I don't know what I was saying. Face, I can't face of the talk face about. of the program, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So it's back to me at the turn. Yep. Um, are you guys? Do you guys want to harmonize with me while I sing this real quick here? Um, <laughs> we don't want to get the MCA, but really, really testing the boundaries of Zoom here. <laughs> Country roads okay. take me home <laughs> to the place where I belong. We got West Virginia, baby. Ryan, this is the second time in four podcasts that you have sang on the show. And I'm going to keep getting better. I'm okay. growing. All I'm right. learning. Yeah. Uh, you're going to hold me accountable. I am, yeah. <laughs> um, look, we talked about the Pitt-Penn State rivalry. Uh, <laughs> I grew up on the Pitt-West Virginia rivalry. I mean, the uh-huh. backyard brawl, uh, my God, those games were so fun and so cool every single year. Um, everyone in my, you know, my hometown will talk about that game. Everyone will watch that game. Uh, and Monday morning on school, the week at the, you know the next week, uh, you would have kids wearing their gear. Everyone would be talking trash about who won or who lost. And um, obviously, we had that great Rich Rod era, uh, which he obviously never should have left. Uh, that 05 to 07 period, especially uh, you know the Pat McAfee era of West Virginia football. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, guy most responsible yes, for their success. Pat yeah, yeah, exactly. Those games are so fun, man. That was true hatred. I mean, just oh, beer bottles they, being thrown at people. Yeah, they just despise each other. Um, obviously, the couch burning is legendary. Uh, those parties are fantastic around those games. The tailgates are wild. Um, truly, that is something where I have never seen more games and tailgates that lead to fistfights than I have around Pitt, West Virginia. You know, you hear about other places. You hear about true hatred. I, I think the Egg Bowls one has a lot of uh, famous moments for that, too. But... 
I think just in terms of they, they honest to God hate each other's guts and have no respect or friendship for each other is Pitt Western yet. And that has to come back. That is what we need in college football. Mm-hmm. I love that true hatred. Yeah. Just like sicko. Just really nasty stuff. Yes. That yeah. is what exactly what I want out of college football. Yes. Yeah. And and to have Pitt and West Virginia involved in that is just, it's, those are the two perfect teams for that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, Morgantown's awesome. Uh, I, you know, and I have unfortunately uh, not had the chance to go down there in quite some time. Uh, but, uh, I did attend a wedding a couple years ago uh, for a friend of mine who's a Western Virginia alum, had a lot of his Western Virginia alumni friends with him. And, um, you know, at the end of the night, we all went back to the hotel we were staying in. And uh, his dad brought a nice, it, it might as well have been one of those cartoon jugs with three X's on them. Uh, <laughs> Let's go. Of, uh, <laughs> true, like pot still moonshine. And we just sat around in this hotel drinking out of the moonshine for uh, too many hours. And uh, somehow we all made it back home to our, our hotel rooms that were like three floors away. Um, but I, I salute the Mountaineers. I love them. I want them back and uh, back playing Pitt, back playing Penn State. Um, and I also want them back playing my next pick, uh, Virginia Tech. Okay. Um, Bill, you talked a lot about the Mid Atlantic area and kind of building the conference around that identity, and I had the exact same thought. Um, Virginia Tech has kind of been an ACC school in my mind. I think for some reason it feels more ACC than than Pitt does, or you know the, the other schools uh, that used to play. Uh, in, in the Big East do, but um, nonetheless, that kind of Appalachian school, that area has so much fun. Uh, I think the traditions down there are great, obviously, from the Beamer era, but also the recruits they landed out of out of you know Newport News, out of the Virginia Beach area at large, um, that team had a real swagger. You know, there was a real um, kind of nastiness and swagger and kind of juice to that team that was really fun to watch them play. You know, they wanted to hit you in the mouth uh, and they always had fun quarterbacks, too, I feel like. Um, that's a team I love watching play football. And, and Virginia Tech-West Virginia was a secondary rivalry for both teams. Obviously, Virginia Tech's primary rival is Virginia, and uh, West Virginia's is Pitt. Um, but still just a really fun game uh, around two teams that were pretty similar and, and not too far apart from each other that had pretty similar identities and student bodies. Um, I, I think that's a great game I'd like to bring back. I think Virginia Tech's a perfect fit for the conference. Um, do you have any thoughts on Virginia Tech or any kind of memories of that team? I like Virginia Tech in this league, <clears throat> this fake league that we're making up, is like almost mm-hmm. like a little bit of a kindred spirit to Penn State. Like I've been to Blacksburg once, and I felt like I was in State College when I was there. And then I feel like those two, like those two programs, which I think have played a couple times, or maybe they have a series in the books in, in the future here. Um, I think a Penn State Virginia Tech like rivalry could get kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's not a it's not a team that I had on my board because again, I was geographically biased on all my decisions, as you'll soon learn. Um, but I think you're right on. I, th- I think if we're talking about powers in the Mid Atlantic um, and and Blacksburg, while Winger there doesn't quite feel like it, it, it certainly is is the footprint. I, I think it needs to have a home here. Yeah, and I, I think that the uh, the the culture, like Ryan, like you touched on, makes a lot of sense here. This is a and that the Penn State comparison makes sense too. This is one of the best crowds in America when they're good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the obviously it's very cliche at this point, but the Inter Sandman stuff is awesome. It's there's a reason that people like it. It's really cool. It, yeah. It's like the um, 
I think it was it was 2015 Ohio State at Virginia Tech. Getting to see that full intro, I, I wasn't there, but watching it on TV mm-hmm. still, I go back and watch that sometimes. It's really cool. And that Labor Day game against Boise State in 2011 yes. too is that one I think of, where they had it really pumping. And, and man, that's such a cool experience. Yeah, there's another one from like 2012, Al Golden era Miami. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen this, where it was Virginia Tech Miami. Neither team was especially good, but Virginia Tech was was ranked in the low 20s and. Um, had the lead with about three seconds left, and Miami has the ball at like its own thirty-yard line, and Virginia Tech plays the it plays the music uh, like like on this like big you know last play of the game plays the music after this uh, this Miami timeout, and the crowd is just going insane. It's like the loudest I've ever seen a college football crowd, and they're playing like an unranked Miami team. They're like a five and two Virginia Tech against like three and three Miami or something. And I think it's a bit of a bummer that we really haven't seen that kind of energy. Uh, from the program in the Justin Fuente era, but the I good thought news, he was going to be so good. Man, the good news is this time next year we're going to have a new coach to talk about there who can try to bring that identity back because he is not long for that job. Yeah, um, their recruiting has fallen off in a dramatic way too. It, it's pretty unbelievable. Which should not happen there. My gosh, no, it shouldn't. I mean, like Bronco Mendenhall's doing fine. He's not like lighting the world on fire at UVA, uh, and you shouldn't be losing so many battles to out of state programs. You know. Uh, Florida State was a school that really raided uh, Virginia Beach area, which is the heart and soul of Virginia Tech's recruiting. Yeah. Um, and that program sucks right now. They're not coming in there to take guys like Levante Taylor anymore. You know, they're not coming in to take the uh, um, Jalen Ramsey was a Tennessee player, but there's someone else they took from there that I'm forgetting. Um, a big time defensive recruit. It's not important. Uh, it's not important. Was it Josh Sweat? It was Josh Sweat. There yeah, yeah. It was a, who I thought was going to be really great as a mm-hmm. player. Um, that's not happening anymore. You don't have Ohio State really kicking your ass in that area anymore. Jalen Holmes isn't leaving there. Um, you know, there's not really an excuse for Virginia Tech to be recruiting poorly at all. Uh, and I think if we see them get back to kind of dominate that area and going into the Carolinas, which is a resurgent area right now, going into Maryland, going into uh, maybe Pittsburgh or Ohio, um, that's a team that can get back to where it was, and I would love to see it happen. And uh, with that, Bill, we are back to you. Okay. I have a couple different directions I want to go here. Um, you want to talk it out? I think I, I, I kind of can't like get the idea of just wanting like kind of like want, wanting to solidify the recruiting footprint of this league a little more. And I think, you know, you had, you had Virginia Tech, you get the Tidewater, you get Virginia Beach, you have Rutgers, you get Jersey. Um, I would like to get, I think, a foothold in the DMV. So, like, I'm not like Maryland is not a program that I'm, like I'm super high on, but I'm very high on that area in terms of its ability to produce talent. And I think if you have a team in that backyard, it, it would help all the other teams in this league mm-hmm. to do that. So, I'm going to pick Maryland and like not feel super great about it. No, I like the pick. I, I mean, I think uh, Maryland is kind of like the opposite of of West Virginia or so, where WVU, if their peak was never very highly rated in recruiting. Uh, but it's just somehow always managed to find like one awesome player who could go 99 yards in any given touch. Whereas Maryland seems to have 30 of those guys in the roster and can just never win games despite that, uh, which I love about them. I think it's really endearing. Mm-hmm. I think Mike Loxley in the Big East too is frightening just for anybody else in that area. I mean, he can recruit in the Big Ten and he's like the lowest guy on the totem pole yeah. in the Big Ten. It's what we talked about with Rutgers, right? Yeah. Like Rutgers in Big Ten never is going to have a chance to even come close to winning the East. But uh, I mean, Mike Loxley in the Big East, uh, sure, yeah. If he, I mean, he can have legitimately one of the two or three, I mean, maybe three or four most talented rosters in the conference, that certainly opens the door for Maryland to be just a totally different program from how we think of them today. Yeah, and I think maybe they could, like, I think the one area where they've struggled historically is is up front, right, or at least on the offensive line, mm-hmm. probably even more so than defensive line. And if they're, 
it's similar to what you said about Rutgers. Like maybe um, the the fact that you can look across the landscape of the league and just know you're not going to get your face stomped in like every week, like Maryland, Maryland's going to do right now in the Big Ten. Maybe you one have more of a chance to keep those guys, those skill guys you talked about, close to home. But also maybe you can go into um, Virginia, go into Southern Ohio, Southern or Pennsylvania, and get some linemen too to help round that out. Yeah, sure. Not to make this too Ohio State centric either, but. You know, guys like Isaiah Prince. I'm looking at his 24-7 right now. Isaiah Prince and Chase Young and Dwayne Haskins aren't going to be leaving DMV necessarily if it's a league that is just all Big East dominated. Uh, That's not going to happen. I mean, and God, if you had one of those players to that roster, how much different? I mean, that that wins a game for you. Even a guy like, uh, he ended up at Maryland, I believe, but like Keandre Jones coming out of high Mm -hmm. school. I remember that was a huge deal was Ohio State flipping him and Dwayne Haskins at the same time. And and it just seems like, you know, they'll get a guy to stay home who's an elite player every couple years. They just got Rakeem Jarrett, right? Uh, And, you know, uh, the famous one early on in Urban Meyer's tenure was him trying to get Stephon Diggs away from Maryland and couldn't Mm -hmm. couldn't close the deal on that one. Uh, And so they do get a couple of those guys here and there. And they just never seem to sustain it because they get them based on potential under some new coaching program, and they go out and lose eight games that first year. And then what? Then what are you going to do? So uh, I love the pick, though. I think for this league we're building is a perfect fit. Um, I love it. Love that you're picking Rutgers of Maryland. I, I love that you're giving f- us full Jim Delaney energy today. Bill. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It's yeah. all about the TV markets. Yeah, you have to have the New York, you know, the New York market. That's yeah. very important. Um, I'm up next now, right? I'm not. You have two picks. Okay. To close out your draft. All right. I'm going to tie these two picks together. Love I have it. I have made a, sort of an, an adjustment on the fly here. I'm calling an audible. Wow. Um, because some of the talk here about rivalries has swayed me a little bit. These are two teams that are a little bit lower on my board. I still have. Some 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 teams higher up here that I I have my eyes on, but oh, no. I can't pass up on this. Oh no, what's he gonna do? Um, do we, I know what he's doing. <laughs> I have a feeling I know what he's doing too. I think you guys might know what I'm doing, but we'll see here. So these two are permanently tied together. Um, We're talking about a little war. I don't know if you would call it that. I, I we you might not know where I'm going. But. Okay, Let's so. Hear. These two are, are permanently tied together. They both have connections, not directly to, well, one of them directly to the East Coast, one connect to the East Coast through another state. Um, they say that this rivalry between these two goes deeper than hate. Any familiarity with this? Either of you? No, you're going to a different place than I thought you were going. Oh, I thought you were talking about the war on I 4. I'm curious. Yeah, Ooh, I like that too. No. Um, deeper, deeper than hate is Appalachian State and Georgia Southern. Wow, that is a. Ooh. A Pat Ooh. Mayhorn special, if yes. I've ever seen one. So, <laughs> I have I have talked about App State before. I will not go too deep on App State here, just for um, because if I do talk about App State too much, then they have to start paying me, and they don't want to have to do that. Um, but this rivalry is wonderful. It's one of the best in college football. It was it was very very good at the FCS level for a little for a really long time it came about because they kept beating each other in the FCS playoffs in the 80s it just kept happening where they would meet in the FCS playoffs and beat each other um and so they just sort of developed this this disdain and they'd start play, they would start playing every year they would usually play every year in the playoffs and um now it is as both of them have moved up to the sun belt just a thing that every single year these fan bases get up for this is you know, this is their big game, and they don't have the natural kind of, you know, geographical ties that you would think for a rivalry. But they're not—they're not especially far away from each other. Um, 
and you get these really cool environments when these two play. People forget that Appalachia goes into Georgia. I yeah, mean, that, that is something that stretches all the way from. Yeah, kind Bo- of... Boone is essentially Georgia culturally. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. it's very close. Yeah, um, you you went down there for that game. Did you said yes, that, right? yeah, 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 yes, yeah. it was it was freezing cold. Like it, <laughs> it was like like uh, the kind of snow that is extra wet just to spite you, and and super super windy like the exact worst kind of situation to be a spectator at a game right and it was packed it was completely full we were on the this was at app state um halloween night so it's a, it's a thursday night right not even like a full day of tailgating people go there after work after school whatever it might be completely packed there are people there who are like not college students adult men who are shirtless with their with their you know chests painted and things like that and people just losing their minds for this entire game and it was not a good game i think appalachian state ended up losing um but just th- it was just this huge deal everybody there just was a hundred percent into it and i don't think either team was great this year they were both pretty good but um th- these are two teams that i think culturally fit into the big east that we are building i think that app state is is one of the i mean one of the best college towns in america one of the better programs in america just in the way that it's run even though it's at a smaller scale and georgia southern is something that this conference desperately needs in in the way that we're building this conference our big east needs a triple team every big east needs a triple team i don't think it can be the big east without a triple team the big east didn't have one before and that's why it failed you have to have a triple team in your conference wow i love that yes and, and you think Southern's a better program than Georgia Tech, for example. Absolutely. I love yes. That. I Georgia, love that. Georgia Tech doesn't have the connection to App State. I wanted both of them. That's why we keep you around, man. Yes. And so those are my those are my final two picks, App State and Georgia Southern, not just for the rivalry, but for the potential of those programs with more money and more sort of power to work with. And speaking of that kind of geographic identity we talked about, if you guys ever want just, to me, what my picture of Southern Appalachia looks like, um, watch the Netflix series Manhunter Deadly, or I'm sorry, Manhunt Deadly Games. Uh, it's talking about the FBI hunt for the Atlanta bomber, the Atlanta Olympic bomber. Okay. Uh, I think they call him the scent bomber. Yeah. Hard to keep it straight in my head. Um, anyway, he is in rural, like kind of backwater North Carolina. And that to me is the perfect image of the app state, the Georgia Southern area, that kind of rural Appalachian yeah. Southern stretch of that. It's, it's a great watch. Yeah, and we're also assuming that I will be covering this conference, and I really want to go to North Carolina. So we're making sure. this conference real, and I'm the beat writer for it, and I really like to go to North Carolina, so I want to get App State in there. So, Bill, we have some heavy lifting left to do between the two of us. Uh, yeah, there are some big hitters left here. Uh, yeah, which you're going to hate my pick. Oh, man, I love it. I'm already excited. I think I know where you're going, but we're going to find out. I will say, I, I, I was going to be a dick and, like, pick one like army or navy just because I, I i agree with pat that this league needs a triple team let's go thought, what better way to do that than to put a service academy in here and make make these teams play them every year but since georgia southern is in the mix now um i won't do that um although i will miss you both army and navy mm-hmm. uh i am picking temple okay you're sticking to your roots you gotta do it <laughs> it can tell me, like i it's hard, like i i think I've always kind of thought Temple could be a little better than it has been historically. And, and like, you know, lately it's not been, I mean, it was a garbage program for a long time. And and lately I don't think it's been that. And maybe what it is right now is all it ever will be like the occasional team that might be able to go like eight and four in the American. And maybe that's like the best that Temple can ever hope for. But I think maybe with the right coach and the right kind of recruiting plan, Temple can become something more than that. And the way that Philadelphia high school football is trending at the moment. And I can't really explain why it's gotten better but it is significantly better than even like when I was in high school and I played and I graduated high school in 2006 
And I like I can't think of anything that's happened in between then that would suddenly make Philadelphia all of a sudden a, a high school football hotbed. But there is a one like a, a pretty good number of blue chip prospects in the city that maybe would be out of Temple's reach anyway. But even beyond that, I think there's still a pretty solid year to year crop of three star guys that a program like Temple could really build around. And I don't know if any of the coaches they've had there um, recently when they've had this success, maybe Matt Rule a little bit, and who knows what Jeff Collins would have done if he would have stayed there longer, like have really embraced the idea of like being Philadelphia's college football team. And maybe that's a fool's errand uh, in the end, but I'd like to see somebody try to explore that and, and see where it could go. Um, and I, I don't think Rod Carey is that guy. I think Rod Carey's a good coach. Um, I don't think Rod Carey is like walking into a high school in West Philadelphia and getting players. Um, but I, I do think somebody could maybe do that and make something make temples something a little more than it has been even even in the last few years when it's been an okay program i do think it's very funny that uh kind of in the i think it was 2013 um obviously like you said they're they're in a great talent area that has a ton of kids that that mostly do leave home and don't stay in that area or even within a five-hour drive of the area uh they the temple's solution to this to recruiting pennsylvania better was hiring Terry Smith, uh, my high school's coach, a great Whippeal recruiter. Uh, they decided to still forsake uh, Philadelphia recruiting and instead depend on going across the state to Pittsburgh to get kids because Terry was that good of a recruiter at the high school level too. Um, <laughs> you heard. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like you said, I, I think that is a job in a, in a program that could be a lot better than it has been. It does have a ton of a ton of potential to win games consistently. Um, I like it. I, I think especially kind of building – this conference like we have around the mid Atlantic around right now, mostly around Pennsylvania, Maryland, or Virginia is kind of where we've built our wheelhouse. I'm sort of the one that's, that's stretching it out a little bit to, <laughs> to keep teams like, uh, keep Buffalo out, I uh, guess. Indiana is the yeah. East coast. Yeah. Yeah. Legally speaking. <laughs> yeah. I do think I don't Ryan, you might have some, some perspective on this too. Like I don't, I don't love obviously that the temple doesn't have its own building. It has to share the link with, with the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Like how, and I don't know if that's been a detriment to Temple as much as just being Temple has been a detriment to, to Temple, but um, like, how has that hurt Pitt? Like, is that is that a hurdle that Pitt has had to overcome year after year? The fact that it has to share facilities with the Steelers. If you listen to the boosters, it is certainly a hurdle for them. I think a lot of them believe that uh, getting rid of the on-campus stadium. I think that's back in the late '70s, and they got rid of Pitt Stadium. What was a, a huge detriment to the program and something they really made a mistake on. Um, it, it's hard to say. I, I mean. Like how do you, how can you determine with temples? I think it's even harder to say. How can you determine whether attendance issues and fan support issues are a problem of not having an on-campus stadium, or as opposed to like not being good, right? You know what I mean? Like, does going three and nine make your attendance worse, or does you know making your kids catch a bus twenty minutes to the game is that worse for them? Um, I don't have an answer. I, you know, I, I do think it's kind of interesting here that we have quite a few schools between Pitt, Temple, and Miami. Who do not have their own on-campus stadium. Um, does Maryland? I, I think they do, right? Um, yeah, Maryland does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, those are three schools that are, are all kind of, you know, requiring you, and they all have attendance problems, and require you to travel outside of campus to go to games. So I'd say, yeah, I mean, looking at the trend, it probably is an issue. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if, I don't know if Temple becomes what I think it can become without getting its own stadium. And there has been they had plans like they unveiled them. They had artist renderings, like a hundred and thirty million dollar stadium they were going to build on on North Broad Street, like right, right, basically mm. in the heart of campus, and it looked beautiful. Like, I think it'd be awesome. There are, like, um, 
there are issues with the neighborhood that it's in. Like it's residential. You don't want to be re- relocating people's homes to build a football stadium. So I think maybe it's not realistic. It does have its own facility, like practice facility. Actually, I covered Temple for uh, like four games in Steve Adazio's second season. Wow, that oh, is a great tip that I did not know about you. <laughs> yeah. It, um, it's what so made you the man, the man you are today. It's what, it's What's why, better yeah, than that? I, just guys being dudes. <laughs> guys being dudes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was an experience in and of itself. But like their 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 practice facility, like for being where it is, like isn't all that bad. Um, and it's like you could walk from St. Joe's Prep, which is the best high school program in Philadelphia and probably the best high school program in the state of Pennsylvania right now, and, and maybe even like on the East Coast at the moment. And you can walk there from Temple. And it's like if you're if you're the right coach and get a foothold in that kind of place and then start getting like, you know, not Marvin Harrison Jr., but the three-star kid who's decided he wants to go to Ole Miss for some reason, instead of, <laughs> instead of playing, uh, and we know what that reason is, but instead of playing for, <laughs> um, you know, the hometown team or somewhere closer to home, I think that's like a kind of way that the temple can get off the ground a little bit. And I do have the perfect hire for them. Um, his name, he's already on staff at temple. His name is Gabe Infante. He's the running back running backs coach. And he used to be the head coach at St. Joe's prep. And he was the head coach of mm-hmm. Paramus Catholic. And he was a defensive coordinator at Bergen Catholic, and the man knows how to get good players. Yeah, I mean, certainly, if you coach those programs, you have to go out and recruit high school players. I mean, you, like, I mean, that's literally what your job is. Uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that those schools poach from each other all the time, and that uh, you're recruiting middle schoolers to come join your high school, uh, which is an incredible thing to do in the first place. What, what a great sport this is! Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to have connections to do that. I mean, I'm certain, I'm certain he has the background. It's kind of, I'm, I'm sure, similar the concept of what Tony Sanchez was like at UNLV, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. When he was hired out of... Uh, Bad. Yeah. <laughs> Bishop Gorman. Uh, is that the right coach I'm thinking of? Yeah. Is Tony yeah. Sanchez? Okay. I think so, yeah. 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 Um, wow, guys, I, I feel... Uh, I have a tough spot here, I think. Yeah, I am, you've got, what, Cincinnati, Florida State left on the board, Boston College. There are... Yeah. Yeah, there are... Th- Florida State's not... Florida State was not on my board. Okay. I do not... I, I think uh, Tallahassee, to me, is... That is Alabama. That is not uh, the East Coast. <laughs> That's not a Big East program. Um, there are three schools I'm choosing between. And I think I'm going to let nostalgia win the day for me here. Okay. Um, I'm going to renew the River City rivalry and take Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, I like it. We love the Bearcats. We do. Um, that is one of those silly, like, modern college football trophies, too, that just looks ridiculous. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, please look up the River City rivalry trophy. Uh, it's like a steamboat lever for some reason. Um, that just flips back and forth between Pitt and Cincinnati, depending on who wins that year. Um they played some really fun games whenever Brian Kelly was there and, uh, you know, uh, I think when D'Antonio was there, they were both good at the same time. This trophy rocks. Yeah, whenever Pitt had Dave Wanstead. Cincinnati's a program is doing great right now, obviously. Ohio is not the East Coast. Uh, and I really, my choice... It's up, it's up for debate. Listen, yeah, yeah. My, my choice came down to either Cincinnati or Boston College. Um, then I, as I had Louisville third. Yeah. Um, I would love to have Boston College in this conference. I, I just... I didn't want to take them. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I think that the ceiling is very low for 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 Boston College too. If Notre Dame is in the conference, yeah, we what, are killing Boston College by doing yeah, this. Yeah, what is what is the niche if yeah, you're Boston? Yeah. College? If we force Boston College playing the ACC without like playing all these other Northeastern yeah. schools, then it's there's yeah. your number twelve team every yeah. year. It becomes yeah. UConn after UConn left the Big East. Yeah. probably. Um, but that having been said. Uh, I think Cincinnati's a great fit. I think it opens up all of those Catholic schools uh, in that region to you, as well as the great public schools, uh, you know, like Princeton and Coleraine. Um, 
I think an open state into you. It might even open Columbus. I think it kind of makes Ohio a more natural part of your footprint overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a team that is it, just, it does not have a huge fan base, but it is a really great college football program. It's just a fun place to go watch a game at. Um, it has an on-campus stadium with Nippert, uh, which is, I, we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, but I'm going to reiterate it. I love watching football games at Nippert. It is such a cool place to go see a game at, the way it's sunk into the ground. Um, and, you know, they've had some good teams there, and they've had some fan bases fill that up. But uh, imagine seeing that really rocking every single week for conference ga- conference games against, you know, tough opponents and opponents that they have really an emotional investment in. Um, I-, I think it would be so fun for Cincy. I, I think <laughs> I'm just – I want them out of the G5. I want them back to P5 football – or rather in P5 football – um, they deserve it. Uh, they're a good enough team every single year. The program's well run. They have a huge commitment to athletics. Um, let's bring back the Riverside Rivalry. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I, I think that Cincinnati's a good fit here. I think official decrees just for rules for this conference oh, not no. not necessarily standard rules but kind of house rules one every team must have the astroturf right so I was looking <laughs> at old Pitt Stadium and you gotta have the astroturf just for it to make sense here two Charles Huff has to be coaching one of these teams at all times you need to bring in Charles Huff <laughs> <Yes. laughs> At least as an OC at bare minimum. Yeah, he has to be in the conference because if he's not, then it's not complete. You have to have Charles Huff at one of these schools. And we need to bring can we just Dave swap. Uh, oh. Can we just swap Charles Huff and, and Neil Brown? Neil Brown goes to the Huntington, and Charles Huff coaches. Uh, oh, I like Neil Brown. Yeah, I like Neil Brown. No, too. so do I. But I'm trying to get Charles Huff in this league. Let's swap Charles Huff with Pat. No, you know what? Let's put him at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Let's no. Ooh. Go, or, look, come on. We're an anti Narduzzi podcast here. Yeah. We. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we know our guy. I don't know if you heard last episode, Bill, but we have already decided that we are going to be locking Pat Narduzzi inside the city limits of Youngstown and never letting him leave. Uh, he needs to go be uh, the Jim Trestle of Youngstown State, bring them back to their uh, you know mafia hit, recruit buying glory, which is so funny to have recruits bought at the FCS level. I really do love that. Yes. Uh, that needs to come back. Something he doesn't do a pit, which is probably why they don't win, um, allegedly. Uh, but uh, yeah man um, look I think this is a really fun conference uh, just to recap the teams for everybody here uh, I ended up with Penn State West Virginia Virginia Tech and Cincinnati very Appalachian mm-hmm. um, Bill has Pitt Rutgers Maryland and Temple arguably the four Gross. best football programs in the conference we'd say <laughs> we're hearing it uh Patrick uh, went hard with Notre Dame, Miami, and then finished out with App State and Georgia Southern. Yeah, four very similar programs. Yes, equal stature. Yeah, culturally, sort of, historically, yeah. Yeah, yep, I think no problems with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are our teams. That's 12 teams here. I, I have turned this into a pair of divisions. If you guys want to hear okay, this, just, I, I, I split it as best I could into north and south. Some of it is not direct, you know, I have Rutgers in the South, which is not perfect, but it's the Mason and Dixon conferences. Kind of, yes. So in the North, I have Penn State, Pitt, Cincinnati, West Virginia, Notre Dame, and Temple. In the South, I have Rutgers, Maryland, Miami, App State, Georgia Southern, and Virginia Tech. I think that would be really fun. I, yeah, I think I think you could have a, a cross division rivalry with maybe West Virginia and Virginia Tech, maybe Penn State and Virginia Tech, like we were talking about. Um, I think that there are some really cool, you know, you could you could get App State and West Virginia cross division. Which would be fun. Yeah, you can get, you know, 
I don't know. That Boone Morgantown party would be oh, God. Intense. People people would die. People would die there. Bring um, your muskets. See what happens. Yes. Yes. I will also say if we're if we're making official conference degrees or decrees as it as it relates to Charles Huff, I think that you put him at Miami, and then oh, you. Oh come on! No, you're wasting Miami. I don't think you are, man. I think he can do it anywhere. I think he can work that magic. But see, I'm building to something here. You put him at Miami. You can clear up Pitt. You can get rid of Pat Narduzzi for Brendan Marion, who we love. Let's go. And then at Virginia Tech, Ryan, I think you're really going to like this one. We're taking whatever he says, no matter what he does, we're pulling Mike Tomlin out of his home. We're dragging him <laughs> down to Blacksburg. We're installing him at Virginia Tech. Uh, yeah, I mean... Mike, I don't, I don't. Mike Tomlin recruiting in that area. Look, if you're it's trying, over. if you were trying to get me to become a Yinzer that wants to fire Mike Tomlin, <laughs> uh, you gotta buy me a couple drinks before I start. Uh, or I just have that. to go back to December. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um, I, I guess I want to ask both of you guys here, and Bill, I'll start with you. Um, what is the who, who is the one team that did not end up in this conference you would have liked to have seen make the cut? Uh, since we expanded it a little more geographically than I like set out to which which is fine i think i think in the end this this worked out well um but if we're already going into the carolinas i wouldn't mind misham chanticleers in this league hmm. Ooh, yeah i like that i think culturally i think that in terms of spirit of the program that makes a lot of sense that's that's a team that knows how to have fun and every uh northern th- th- every northern city we have in here does vacation in myrtle beach anyway it's, there's already a lot of that's familiarity right. yeah. you're gonna have a lot of like pit dads going down to golf oh, in myrtle beach for the weekend um, maybe make it to the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Pat, how about you? Who, who would you like else? Would you like to see? See, so the top six on my board all got picked here. Uh, so I'm not. There's nothing that I'm terribly upset about. I have my next three, and you've sort of talked me off Florida State. Um, I think it would have been nice to get Louisville in. I think mm-hmm. it would have been nice to get Boston College in. Um, another one that I had here that maybe isn't a great fit necessarily but it's just a program that I like is Memphis I think that you get Memphis in here they were on my board as well the way that that you can I mean that's there's your southern recruiting team right there there's your team that can that can sort of connect to the uh the the sunbelt of of recruiting area in, in a way that nobody else in this conference really can save for maybe Miami I guess um I guess Georgia Southern is now dominant in the uh in in the state of Georgia and sort of eating Georgia Tech's lunch but um I I think that I would have liked to get Memphis in here um you know like you mentioned the war on I4 I I I like UCF and USF I had Buffalo on my board as well but in general I, I think that I think that we got a lot of the teams that would deserve to be in this league that would want to be in this league Florida State's a good program but not a program that I think fits especially well um and yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that this this captures the spirit of the Big East pretty pretty well. I'm with you. Uh, in an ideal world, I, I think if Louisville recruited the way I would like to see Louisville recruit, which yeah. is kind of basically what Kentucky does right now, um, I, I would like to see them in the conference. But given that they think they are a program inside Florida, um, I don't think they're a great fit for the conference. Uh, so my answer is Boston College. I, I do think Boston College is the one team that um, would finish kind of finish the rest of the Northeast for us. I don't think anyone. Well, I'll speak for myself here. I don't care about Syracuse. I am a, uh, Let's just replace Syracuse and everything with Buffalo. Buffalo's more fun. It's cooler. Yeah. Get rid of Syracuse. Better colors, better coach. Yeah, we yeah. don't need it. Uh, better football team most years at this yes. point. Better yeah. running backs for sure. Um, less concussed quarterbacks every season. Uh, we don't, <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> we don't need Syracuse. Um, but I, I do think Boston College just is kind of getting, you know, it's the one uh, big Northeast city we're missing here. Uh, we have... Uh, New York City's home team with Rutgers, of course. 
Uh, we have Philly with Temple. We have Pittsburgh. We have D.C. with Maryland. Um, we have, I guess, kind of Baltimore, too, with them, if you want to be generous. Um, you, you know, we're just missing Boston, and I would like to have Boston in the mix. But, um, you know, that's the way it goes. It's yeah. no big deal. Um, would, you, uh, would you have picked Boston College? Let's let's remove Phil Dracovic from the equation. And are you still picking Boston College? Uh, I mean, you're making it tough. Uh, <laughs> let's remove Phil Dracovic, but lock Jeff Halfley in a room there just for a while. <laughs> I, uh, you know what? I, I would take Boston College, which, uh, so my, uh, my high school best friend went to Boston University, um, and they really do hate Boston College's guts up there. Um, they don't play football, obviously, Boston U, but uh, they have a great hockey rivalry up there. And uh, I, I do think it is pretty funny that, uh, there's so many colleges in Boston. I, th- I think they say during the school year, something like a third of Boston's population is university students. And every single one of them uh, really hates Boston College. Like Harvard hates Boston College, which is funny. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think getting a bunch of like uh, both uh, university rich kids and like working class Boston, co- like uh, like Irish guys, like getting pissed off about Boston College would be funny. Um, and I think that's fun. I think it's a good, you know, it's a good place to play. And, uh, I, I want to go up there for the cannolis. If we're doing the thing where we get to, we get to cover the team, I want those cannolis. When we get. Uh, gotcha. Where uh, are we? Uh, where are we playing this this conference championship game? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. The Big Apple, baby. We're going to New York. <laughs> <laughs> we play even without Syracuse in the conference. We play it in the Carrier Dome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we should play it. Uh, at Jeremy Ruckert's high school field oh. uh, on Long there Island. I want to be able to see the ocean in the background. I, I have sort of a similar answer. I don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago when they would do the early season basketball, college basketball tournaments where they would play it on a, on like a naval ship, mm-hmm. right? They would yeah. just set up the court there. That's what we're going to do, but with a football field, just to, <laughs> just on the ocean. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I don't see anything wrong with that. I guess if I'm giving a real answer, um, hmm... I, I, Meadowlands probably probably go play the Meadowlands yeah. right is the one that makes the most sense. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, FedEx Field just sucks in Virginia. That's yeah. not a fun one to go to. Um, uh, what's Baltimore's field? What's the M&T Bank Stadium? Yeah. Baltimore's just not a fun town to go to, in my opinion. If we still had, if Pitt Stadium was still around, I think that that would have to be the pick. That's a delightful, stupid little stadium. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna play it at Ohio Stadium. That's my pick. Uh, <laughs> just right in the middle of the conference, right there in Columbus. Um, Cool. So, um, uh, you know, Bill, before we wrap up and kind of let you go, we, we have to stop and ask two questions here that we're, we're going to have for you. Um, you are our first guest, but, but we're going to ask if every guest we have on the show going forward, uh, just so everyone here has been warned. Um, my first one for you, Bill, if you were not working for The Athletic, writing about Ohio State, what beat would you want to be covering? Or I guess what else would you be doing with your life? I don't know if I'd be doing anything else with my life outside of covering college football. Um, I tried to think about that a little bit because you were kind enough to send me these questions beforehand and I couldn't come up with a good answer. There was a time where I thought I'd be a teacher, but I don't think I have the patience for that anymore. Um, so I, I think I'd still be covering college football and, uh, I do like covering Ohio state. Like it's always, um, like dominating the conversation. It's always in a run race for national championship and that brings attention and attention is good for me, I suppose. But I also wouldn't mind, covering like a smaller school like in a cooler place to live maybe it's not the biggest program but it has a community that's like super invested in it so you know you're you're still writing things that people care about um so i thought like maybe like boise state i wouldn't mind moving to boise to cover Mm. boise state Mm. i think that'd be kind of cool um 
I also thought of Wyoming, and then I just decided that I'm going to move to like Colorado, live someplace cool, and just cover the Mountain West at large. Yes. So I think I think that would be uh, what I would like to be doing if I could do anything. My my buddy and his wife, who are both huge Penn State fans, just moved out to Boise. Uh, so you actually would be following a little trend there. We'll get some uh, get some Pennsylvanians out there and go build a build a Penn State bar up somewhere in Boise. Uh, yeah. I went there uh, for because the, the basketball team played there in the NCAA tournament. Uh, two years ago or three years ago, whenever it was three mm-hmm. years ago, I think it's great. Like, I don't know if you guys have been there. It's awesome. Like I, I would legitimately live there. I uh, have tentative cool plans to go out to Idaho this July. And I'm very excited about it. Uh, I've always wanted to go out there and just kind of see the area. Cause it looks so beautiful for anything I've seen. Um, I think Patrick, we have you up next here. Well, quickly, Bill, I just I'm showing Ryan right now. You mentioned moving out to the just just going to the West Coast. I'm showing Ryan right now. I have three notifications for Billings, Montana apartments that came open just because <laughs> I have that I have that saved on my Zillow on my phone. It's just let me know whenever there's an apartment available in Billings. Um, so our, our second yeah, question. I started watching Yellowstone, and I want to move there too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're all gonna buy uh, ten gallon hats and guns. And yeah, we're we're all going to become a different version of Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to play the, the good, bad, and ugly theme here right yeah. now as all of us trying to get out west. Um, so, Bill, our second question here. If you were college football's sort of leader, sort of czar, and could change anything that you wanted to about the sport, what would you what would you change? What would you do to adjust it? Yeah, I really like the conversation you guys had. Uh, I guess I think it was on the last episode, right, about the relegation um, yeah. and how that could work in college football. So that that's a, like an idea I, I've always kind of liked. But since you guys talked about that last week, um, my other one is like, it's like, it's pretty simple. It's, it's just playoff expansion. That's more inclusive. Um, and I would do a, a 16 team playoff that had automatic qualifiers from all of 10 of the SBS conferences, six more at large teams, like do away with the re- weekly rankings, bullshit television show. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything. And just like seed it at the end, like you do for the NCAA tournament. Um, and maybe come up with some kind of like metric, like they use this net rating. I don't know what that is. Like maybe it's just Bill C's S and P plus, and he can leave it at that to help use that as a, as a seeding metric. I think that could be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I would like is uh, like, if you're independent, you're not eligible. So like Notre Dame and BYU can grow up and join a conference and to be a part of this. Um, and then I would play all the first round games on campus. I uh, would rotate the quarterfinals and semifinals through the new year's six sites. That way you can keep those intact because those names are important to people for some reason. And then uh, play the the title game, like rotate it kind of like they do now, but make efforts to play it in some different kind of places. Like they're going to play in Indy. I think that's great. Try to move it to more places in the Midwest, maybe play it on the East Coast. And I know you have to deal with weather and all that stuff, but we're all adults. We can play football in the rain if that happens. You I'd, get I'd like to, to see them. You get to deal with weather. You don't have to. You get to see games in the weather. Right, right. I think, I think uh, college football has become like a little less regional, but I think still largely is regional. And I think part of the way you can – try to grow it a little bit is moving the national title game to some places where it's never been before. Billings, Montana. We're all going down yes, there. Sir. Billings, Montana. <laughs> and I agree with your independent point too. Uh, this is a fuck UMass podcast. Uh, we hate UMass what? in this podcast. Oh. I'm a fuck UMass podcast host. I don't speak for Patrick. Unbelievable. I think we have a UMass listener. Oh no. <laughs> oh, sorry buddy. <laughs> Pick a better team. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess, how do you think that 16 team uh, kind of format w- would, uh, you know, I guess, do you think that would lead to more parity or, or, or do you think that would, because uh, I, I love the idea too. I, I've often, you know, I think we all want to see playoff expansion. We want to see more teams get in. Um, and I've gone back and forth so many times and I'm curious to hear your thoughts here too on whether that would just mean that, you know, Alabama gets in every year and Ohio, like 
basically, it's impossible for Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson to miss the playoffs. It's very different from how it is now. <laughs> sure, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I, mean, right. I still want to see a change, but I, I, I do. Th- I think that would be fun. I guess. Do you think that would help the bottom teams uh, more long term? Yeah, I think it will. I, I don't like like Pat said. I don't think there's anything you, you can do to change the fact that Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson are going to be in it every year. Yeah, like. Um, <laughs> Short of short of saying you lost this year, you're not eligible next year. I don't. I don't now think that's you can an do idea. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a different form of. It's like playoff relegation. You're not eligible eligible for the playoff until you won a playoff game. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think the end results maybe might still largely be the same, but the path to getting there would be much more entertaining. Um, and maybe that's kind of all we can hope for with the way that things currently are. I'm not like totally against the idea of like a secondary championship for um, most of the G5 with the exception of places like, you know, you bump up like Cincinnati and Memphis and mm-hmm. UCF and those kind of places. And then, and then have a, a secondary championship for like the Mac and whatever's left from the American. Like, I think I can get on board with that too. But I think before we got to that point, I would want to expand what we have now. And and maybe we're wrong. I don't know. Maybe maybe those teams do get their shot and, and show that they are capable of, of giving the Alabamas and Ohio States and Clemsons of the world a game. Well, hey, we love it. Um, thank you for the answer. And, you know, thanks for taking the uh, time to come here in the pod. Uh, I'm sorry I did not get the chance to do a full Dave Wants That Impression during the course of our Big East draft. And was frankly quite an upset, frankly, quite an upset that I didn't get to do that. There's still time on this yeah. podcast, Ryan. You can still do it right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I was down there in Polish Shell. It was me, Donnie, and Dave Wanstead. And uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just sitting there. We're, uh, you know, uh, I'm getting a couple irons. He's getting a couple irons. I'm like, is that freaking Dave Wanstead? I'm like, Davey, what's up? He's like, oh, you know how it's been, just hanging down Blonox, working down the rails. And I was like, sure, yeah, you know, we all been there. Um, uh, and anyway, freaking Aaron Donald comes in. I'm like, Aaron, I thought you were down California. <laughs> I heard out of steam. I don't have anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will say my, uh, my, my girlfriend, who I've been with for a decade now, is from Pittsburgh, as is her entire family. So I just felt like I was back out there for like a Sunday. I love so that. Can, nice. can you have her, when you get a chance, please let her review my Pittsburgh accent and just send in her report and we'll... Uh, read it out loud on the pod. I absolutely will. Yeah. <laughs> um, what we have here, is there anything you want to plug or anything you want us to, uh, to put out there for you? Uh, no, I mean, you can subscribe, subscribe to The Athletic if you want to. Uh, you can listen to the Ohio State podcast I do with Ari Wasserman, 4 to 6 with A&B. That's free. You don't have to pay for that. I listen every week. It's uh, in my it's my favorite Ohio State pod. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> I also love Patrick's. <laughs> uh, you know, my two favorite Ohio State. I'm just going to get a call. I'm going to like listen to my, like my favorite 10 yeah. podcasts now for Ohio State. I love all Ohio State podcasts. I don't think that's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, I especially love 46 Day and B in the Buckeye Sports Bulletin podcast. Yeah. Um, and Bill does great work in the athletic, guys. Please go read him. Please subscribe. It is well worth the cost of admission. Um, that story in Captain Goodwin was great. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and you know, built us great work all around. Um, yeah, if you're if you're going to read Ohio State writing, you should just read Bill. He's the he's the best one at it. Go Bucks! <laughs> I don't know about all that, but I, I appreciate the kind words. And I will say, uh, Pat, my my favorite Ohio State podcast is your podcast. Wow! Wow! See, you, we can't listen to our own though. Is the thing so? <laughs> y- yours is is objectively better, but I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> Should we all kiss? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought we were already doing that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much for checking out Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. And thank you again to Bill for joining us today and for being our first guest. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please be, fir- 
please be sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends that there's a new college football podcast in town. Um, Ryan, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at B1G Ryan. Uh, I'm sorry, B1G underscore Ryan. Unbelievable. Handle. Wow, this man really. doesn't even know his own Twitter name. Uh, I'm not a real poster. Um, and we should mention, we almost forgot here, uh, for the five people that are still listening this far into the podcast, uh, we are going to have our mailbag episode coming right around the corner. Um, I think we have one or two more before this, but uh, start leaving five-star reviews with any questions you want to have answered on the podcast, and we're going to get to those. Uh, we're going to go through anything you want. So you can send them to me or Pat on Twitter, or uh, you can send them here. We prefer it with a five-star review on Apple mm-hmm. Podcast. Um, yeah, we're pretty much open to talk about anything, so send them our way. Yeah, I can be found on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Um, Bill, you're at Bill Landis 25 right? That is correct. Okay. Um, if people want to find my stuff, my writing is at the Outside Zone newsletter on Substack, available three times a week for just $5 a month. Um, Ryan, do we have anything else here? Yeah, I'm just going to head down, down there, uh, pull a show with Donnie. <laughs> all right. All right. You're done. <laughs> I'll talk to you next week, man. Bye.